Hello everyone in Cheeseland. This is a little podcast I recorded with my beekeeping mentor, Brad the Bee Man. Um, unfortunately, the recorder ran out of batteries about an hour in, but you didn't miss very much. It just ends quite abruptly without me saying the, the proper goodbyes, but I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. We, we, we should wrap up things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging us, death, you know it. We're going to be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the oh, spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheesemaker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Do you understand how podcasts work? <clears throat> it's like the anti-radio. Anti-radio? I'm recording, by the way. That's fine. Welcome to the cheesy podcast. I had to remember which podcast it was first. <laughs> <laughs> We've had this this thing, uh, the guy I do the sports podcast with, where we used to, we we changed... Um, we changed where we were posting the podcast, so for a while we sort of were starting again with our user numbers, and we started doing like intros. You know, you're listening to the cheese podcast, cheese bees on the dock, and then we started doing what they call a cold opening, where you just talk shit for a while, and then someone will go, "Oh, and you're listening to the cheese, cheese podcast," and then one week we did like 45, 50 minutes before we started. said something, and he's like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, if you found the podcast." You know what it's fucking called, all right? You know, I'm Dr. Yobo because I'm the shouty one and he's Bezo because he's the one who's always fucking wrong. <laughs> You're never wrong, are you, Bez? Okay, It's just a, according to him, I'm always wrong. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> Don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> so the way this works is I've got lots of questions and I ask them and you try to not laugh at me for being so ignorant. <laughs> he's all right at that. See, so you've been helping me out. So what would you say? Would you say you're a professional beekeeper? I wouldn't say I'm professional, John. Semi? Semi. I would say yeah. I'm running a, a small commercial, um, you know, yeah, small commercial, large hobby. Yep. I'd, I'd guess that's what the numbers would be. So <clears throat> what, are there big, large commercial beekeepers in Queensland? Yeah, definitely there's. Uh, and definitely. What sort, of, like, what sort of numbers are we talking about? How yeah, many anywhere hives? from the 1,000 to the 3,000. Anywhere yeah. from a couple of workers to six workers. Okay. Um, big business. Guys running some big trucks, some big gear. Yep. Plenty of, yeah, plenty of movement, plenty of action. And are they a little bit like dairy farmers in that they're dependent on Capilano? Or other people to say, you know, because like I know quite a few dairy farmers through Twitter and through the podcast, and they're just totally dependent on the, the market. Yeah. Basically, says to them, "This is what we're going to pay you if you don't lock it, fuck off." Yeah, yeah, they be, they become. I guess you with volume, you become dependent on that size of operation. Yeah, you know, you, you can't just go getting rid of hundreds of tons of honey so in your local shop so what about beechworth are they <clears throat> just another honey packer 
They're, so a different. So they're not. Is that so? There's, there's no, down under honey, Beechworth, Capilano. There's there's a couple n- of AB's honey. There's a couple of big decent packers in Queensland. Yeah, but there's no start to finish operation like no big one that basically like like you know the scenic rim milk the the milk for real where no, he has the cows and the and not the, that i not that i know of not that i don't know too many people look it's generally the 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 farm to to plate style of people that are doing that that are packing their own and generally that's a a smaller volume yeah and i, and I guess that's the market we're interested in you know a because we're a little bit smaller but b because over the years we've had plenty of comments about our product and yeah Hey, this is good. You're doing some good stuff here, and and so that's the market that's drawn us in, not the massive, as well as not being full commercial, full time working it. Yeah, you know, I think there's a tipping point there somewhere, and yeah, you you sort of economy of scale. You want to stay on this part of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all it, this is what this is what interests me, and I think we've got some nice things happening. So, so okay, let's let's wind it back. <laughs> Did you have bees when you were a kid? Yeah, look, I'm I'm what I'm a. Uh, I guess I'm a fourth, third generation farmer. Um, we go back for English settlement back, um, you know, in the central Burnet district, in the dairy industry, um, cropping cattle, pigs. Yeah, bit um, of everything. Bit of everything. And, and so I have, um, you know, I always say to everyone, you know, I've got deep agricultural blood flowing through me. And because we did bees, I've had bees since I was a kid, you know, our... Our emblem says established 1973. Well, that was when I was born. Yeah. You know, so it's been there for uh, since I was a kid growing up. And and, that, and since then, that's where it's come from, I guess. Like, and But you've only got into the semi-commercial thing. I've had some good mentors, John. Reasonably some, recently, though, like what, 10 well, years? They say a, a beekeeping apprenticeship is 20 years. <laughs> you know, you don't just... You don't just say, oh, I'm getting into bees, and then you start pumping out. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys that have been going a long time, very established, that, yeah, learn some hard lessons. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I've had, I've got you yeah. two hives now, thanks to you. I think the most I've had is three. Um, You're starting the empire, mate. Yeah. Uh, and I still can't find a queen. Not that I really sort of get into... Uh, like I'm a very minimalist beekeeper. I sort of, you know, take yeah. a little bit of honey and and do some maintenance, but I don't really sort of get out and open it, open it and mess around just to have a look. Yeah, I just think that there's plenty of levels, and that's what's cool about it. You know, there's and that's what's it's always a conversation starter. There's plenty of people at so many different levels, and that's what's cool about it. Like, yeah, I think the thing that you know that everyone has to remember though that there's the three pillars of beekeeping you know and that's the genetics the disease and the nutrition yeah so long as everyone agrees on that and that's pretty much what i've grown up with that the rest of beekeeping is just technique and fun and learning like, yeah you know so so long as you understand that and so the the genetics thing because i was having a bit of a look on wikipedia last night actually doing some preparation Trying to understand, <laughs> trying to understand the. Um, yeah, need to. So, the the strains that we have in Australia is the mostly like it's all the European. Do we have any of the African yeah, over here? Yeah, there's. Look, you start. You talk. You're asking questions. I'm not. You know, there's experts on this. Like, mm. There's Asian honeybee, you know, coming in through cans. That area that they've been fighting for a while. That's. I think they're on top of it. That's a nasty pest. 
Um, so the Asian honeybee, but the Asian honeybee, they have in hives in Asia, don't they? Or is oh, that a... Again, again, John, look, I, I, there's there's so many... Look, I guess the, the idea of beekeeping is such a specific thing and it's so... in Like the knowledge... You know, I listened to an old South African guy at a, at a queen-rearing course um, talk about a, a South African strain of bees that just is a different beast altogether. Yeah. You know, like we deal with the Italian... And then the Caucasian is a similar temperament and breed. And the Italian ones are the ones everyone wants, that's aren't what, they? They're the mildest of the... Yeah, that's what seems to be the main the main honey producers around. Like some guys run the Caucasian bees, are different. they have different nature and different styles. But look, there's some... Yeah, the Italian is what, is what I've come to learn, you know, know and love and learn. And, yeah. And so that's what we run. We run the Italian... So you, you breed your own queens now, don't you? Oh, look, I've I've been going into that. Um, I get I get my I get queen cells from a well-respected, well-known um, queen breeder. So I get a cell that's about to hatch, and then from there we breed and mate. But as for the grafting and the and the making those cells, we haven't gone into that. Yeah, fully. Right. I think there's a lot of a lot of time goes into it, and and I think. Uh, there's a lot of like the queen breeder I use is is very well established and and very well, um, yeah. The knowledge base is massive. Like yeah, they're testing for different things. There's well, I have to say, since you before you requeen my hives, hmm. or we requeen that hive and did a split, I'd go down to like do the chooks or whatever, and I'd just get, get carded. I wouldn't get carded, but I just, like, I wasn't bothering them. And before, like, I always had pretty mild bees. And, like, when I first started doing it, I used to go up in just a pair of shorts and, and a mm. veil and a T-shirt and never really got hassled too much. Mm. Um, and then one time I got in the bottom box and I really got touched up. Yeah. And then I started sort of suiting up properly. Um, but every time I'd go down, I'd just get a couple of bees sort of just hassle me, mm. just sort of, like... So, yeah. like, like almost like a low-grade bully where you'd walk past and they'd throw yeah. rocks at you or something. Yeah. Like I wouldn't get stung, but get, they'd come and sort of get in my hair and buzz around my ears. And Yeah, that's part of it. Welcome to beekeeping. Yeah. 101. But I haven't, since we requeened, I haven't had that. Yeah. They just haven't really, like... Yeah, I find the genetics of the industry really smart and very challenging. Like, you know, there's... We're talking genetics, one of the pillars that we talked about, you know, talked about just earlier. Like, you, you, there's... A lot, my queen breeder, you know, he, you know, ha, there's a lot in hygienic behaviour of the bee now, cleaning cells yeah. out and maintain, you know, maintenance of the hive, which, which helps with all the pests. Yeah, which is, you know, they're predicting something come varroa, if that ever comes, if or when, or maybe, or, you know, there's plenty of argument about that, but they're predicting, you know, that's going to be one of the keys to keeping varroa at bay, or, you know, looking after it. There's now, obviously, you want a good temperament in a queen. You want those calm bees. Obviously, you want a very a, a laying queen that's got good reproduction. Yeah. You know, some people breed for uh, colour of the queen. You know, they love the golden, oh, beautiful really? looking thing, even though, you know, you, probably a black one is just as good. And you look at it like, you know, yeah. a couple of times a yeah. year or sort of you thing. You look at the performance of it a lot. But, yeah. but I mean, I've seen queen breeding programs where they focus on a on a queen that cleans the excluder yeah you know look so i've seen pictures of a perfectly pol metal polished excluder 
like, and that's what they're breeding a queen to do. Like. Yeah, right. So, so basically, keep the house clean. Yeah, keeping the house clean, and yeah. you know, so there's just so many things. I mean, and then you start. I mean, we fall down where the where the queen is hatching and she's bred in, and then she's going out to mate, and so you're controlling the female and what gene- you know what traits that she's got because it's been a grafted egg, but then. You know, she might go uptown to mate or she might go downtown. Yeah. You just don't – you're not controlling the male side of the equation. So yeah. once she's mated, you've – you haven't lost, but, you know, we try and manipulate our male hives. You know, we try and make male hives. So in my situation where I've got two hives, will they probably – and now they're sort of split by – well, you, I, think, I think you're going to be all right because you know a beekeeper is going to come around here every year, <laughs> yeah, and, every year and, and dock one and put a new one in. So you'll you'll be right. But so, so that's the best that's <clears> the best way to keep that hive sort of ticking along. And, and again, you've got plenty of people that'll t- you know talk and maybe from this podcast you'll have plenty of feedback about ah oh, the opinions. Oh this. yeah, well I, f- I follow the uh, Gold Coast or Queensland Beekeepers yeah, Group on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, and yeah, like. You know, someone will put up a question, and it's a great resource because, yeah. you know, uh, they're putting up questions that I just normally text to you. But like, yeah, um, uh, yeah like you get fifty different responses, and everyone's yeah. got a slightly different yeah. way, and you can sort of follow the thread between all the different responses. Yeah. But you can see that everyone's got just a different way of doing. Yeah, things. different slant on things. Yeah, you're yeah. right. But again, there's so many slants, and there's so many. Ah, oh, you've got to put a queen excluder like this. You've got to put them so the wires are up. Or, mm. No, no, that's the best way. Like, there's right. so many things. Again, I, just, I just put it all on. I know, but again, every time I listen to a discussion, I just keep bringing it back to those three pillars, you know, your genetics, your nutrition, and your, dis- and your disease. Yeah. Like, they're the things that life's got to exceed death in a beehive. Yeah. Like, that's the prime. If yeah, life's yeah. exceeding death and you're on to a... You've got to go forwards, not backwards. Yes, yeah, you're going forwards and you're on a correct floral area you know things are flowering you're going to get surplus and that's what you're about you're making honey so so i'm just about to try and do some winter planning for flowers for around here just to sort of you know try and get a bit yep. more flow all year round well things start to slow down in winter they start to cluster and especially you know your area where you are you you know your sun and things like that just to keep them going you know yeah. warm, keep them warm a bit so yeah they're just not going to work as many hours anyway are they yeah look unless you're moving yeah unless you're moving like you know I, I can talk about what we're doing like we've moved to the to the coast on into the Melaleuca into the tea tree yeah you know that's a that's a winter flow it gives a a, a beautiful tasting honey that candies mm. quickly. Yep, I got yeah. a few few people at work that I mentioned today that you were going to have some tea yeah, tree, so and that's about like, to come next. Like, yeah, you know, so it, it, it's just also then that's also you know, um, yeah, you know, bee bee nutrition and as well, you, you you're taking bees to an area where the you know, proteins, the oils, the the health of the bee. You know, bee, bees have an exoskeleton, so you can't see. If they're skinny or fat, yeah, you know. So chances are, if you've flogged them during the summer and you've got these nice eucalyptus flows, and and then they just got no guts left to them, they can't make a flow. Their health isn't there. And so oh, okay, so if you've taken too much out of them, yeah, they take time to rebuild. And yeah. you know, there's been a lot of that that stuff's written again. That's nutrition, like yeah. And so is yeah. that is that partially like I know colony collapse is not entirely from that but can is that one of the things that can just kill a hive where they basically 
they well, work they, too hard and they, they get to tipping point and they I, just crash. I guess, yeah, they become weak in other areas maybe then. Yeah. Your small hive beetle starts, you know, coming in and they haven't got the, the power to, you know, overcome that or, you know, some, they become they become fragile hmm. and maybe that's, you know, the key. Like yeah, that. you just make them weaker, which is sort yeah. of... Um, but yeah, we we have a rotation during the during the year that brings that gives them back that health, so that they're moving they're moving, you know, so you from different flora different flora is yeah. you know, being used to not only produce a honey flow but to give them strength, so that when they're in a, a know, good flow when yeah when they got their backs up yeah either when they got a good flow and you're on f- correct floral you're getting that surplus or when it's a dearth and they're going to struggle they've got enough left got to enough a bit of spare so yeah so I've, I've always wondered about suburban beekeeping right yeah. because I, I just vividly remember when i first started going into beekeeping i was up the sunny coast um you know down down towards the the southern end of the coast it's it's nice having a, an extra hand here. We've got an extra hand here too, John. I think I think we should talk about this extra hand. He's a dark horse. This extra hand we've got sitting here tonight. I'm telling you. Um, we'll talk about him later. And I was I just went for a run along this road, and it was like a four lane road, but it wasn't a highway. And to sort of protect the suburbia from the road noise, they planted a whole heap of different sort of native six foot high screening shrubs, and they were just covered, covered yeah. in flower. And I just thought. There's more. There's more flour on this sort of two k bit of road than yeah. there is in my whole fucking valley. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and you sort of think of bees as being, you know, you take them out to the bush and yes. and stuff like that. And I just thought it was probably yeah. in suburbia. There's probably a greater variety what, all year round. Yeah, and you know, you haven't talked about grandma that stands out there and waters her. Yeah. Goodness knows what. You know, you haven't talked about, you know, someone who's planted some leptospermum in the. You know, and that's the kind of the start of the medical kind of. Cheers, mate. That's the start of the medical side of things. Or yeah, look, there's there's big value in suburban. I think it's I think there's a funny line there that there's a there's a phenomenon of the you know the rooftop high rise. Yeah. You know, look, I couldn't probably think of anything worse than my bees flying through a polluted city to get the you know the local. Probably probably you know, not too bad in somewhere like Brisbane because if you yeah, ever have a yeah. if you ever have a look on on like um, a satellite view of Brisbane, it's quite a bit, yeah. You know, and mangrove like, and mangrove yeah. and, and like you know even just parks like mm. even in the high density Brisbane city, there's you know there's botanical gardens, but then there's all these little parks yeah. everywhere. And I think what you find there isn't like a, a specialty one off style of no you're not going to get a particular flow you'll get a mix particular flow and i mean it's really difficult to get it like you know we we harvested some some bloodwood that was that's a classic summer you know a flow and um but the hives didn't quite fill up and just by chance we had to move off the site where we were Mm. and kind of move a little bit early just to set circumstances just the landowner and um so the hives came to the coast a little bit early well they've picked up a a flavour of, you know, the mangrove has started and then yep. there was a soapy leaf that opened. And and so you've got like a very traditional, you know, classic eucalyptus style, you know, style flow mixed with this coastal, you so, know, blend. And, it's, and so we had all intentions of harvesting a, a, a nice, you know, one kind of variety or, you know, yep. bush style honey that was 
but now the, what we've harvested is um, a more blend. Yeah, more of a blend, and you know, it has like a tangy taste of a, so, of a so mangrove can you, honey. Can you Colombo a honey? Can you? Can you, if I gave you a bit of my honey that I took off oh. that flow hive, can you taste it and go, oh, I think this is this flow? Like, like I, I'm, I go all right, but there's other guys out there that are magicians. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I watched a bloke in, in the yard of Capilano dipping a stick into you know, many drums surrounding him and he's, oh, that's this type and that's this and they're grading honey. You know, there's some serious professional guys that can do that. Yeah. I, I can just kind of have a bit of an idea on what, floral variety that i've seen and why i've put my bees there yeah and then have a bit of a guess that that's what's happening and and for sure i can after a while you've worked some species you start to you know build up but i i take i taste some new honeys for the first time all the time like i went to a commercial beekeeper the other day mm. and you know tasted a species from inglewood you know a mallee bush that i haven't and it was amazing, honey. Just yeah, grade one. Like. See, oh, like, I think the um, what's the kiwi one, the manuka? Yeah, I think it's a terrible fucking tasting yeah. honey. Yeah, oh, it tastes like medicine Smells to me. Smells like medicine, tastes like medicine, isn't? Well, we don't have the manuka where the leptospermum yeah. is what, and we worked that two years ago, three years ago in Bribie Island, and it's a difficult thing to get, and and yeah, but it's a definitely a. You know you've got it in your box when that, you open the lid. And is that the it. tea tree? No, it's a Leptospermum polygalfinium. I think <laughs> someone will someone will probably correct me, but and what, Leptospermum polygalfinium is the main is is an active is an active honey making you know Leptospermum tree. We don't actually have the manuka. The yeah. manuka is a you know is a from what I understand is a is a you know brand phenomenon come from. New Zealand, basically, yeah, okay. they have the manuka bush. So, so the properties it, you're after are a medical grade honey, and specifically the MGOs and yeah, okay, you so, after certain yeah, genetics there. Yes, certain. Yes. So if I'm like, obviously, I don't want to move my hives. So yeah. what? Like, so you're I a do stationary the, beekeeper. I'm a stationary John, you're beekeeper. A stationary beekeeper. <laughs> so what should There's I plenty be? Of you. Be planting here. Mm. Like what should should I be putting anything in particularly that that's going to give me lots oh, of flow? means, like you could, you know, you're ultimately trying to create the the ecosystem, I guess, of the of the suburban guy where there's, yeah. you know, some trees are flowering this time. I I, I don't know. I, 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 I you often hear that, and you and I've known people to plant out acres of it. Like this, I, I, I saw on Landline there that they're they're actually trying to trial. The idea of planting leptospermum in a in a block and then yeah yeah where you put, put the hives that. in the middle of the block sort of thing yeah so I, I, that, that's happening I just is don't there, think you'd is, ever is create there a, that is there a danger is there a danger where bees only get one type of flower all year look not that I would understand you know tr trees would flower and then trees would stop flowering yeah like so look again some some of your listeners will probably come up and say oh the uh, such and such tree that's you know but not from what i understand no you look a tree a tree goes through a life cycle as well like, yeah well i know, know here like they love the citrus when the citrus flowers yeah, yeah so that's only a once so, a year thing you only get fruit once a year on so like obviously i've only got four or five citrus trees and that's what i get the flowers from but if you're in gimpy and you're on those citrus orchards there do you get a citrus flavour through your honey yeah look that's the next thing we'll work the tea tree at 
up the Bribey Island there where we are at the moment. And then once that's done and we get word from the um, macadamia farm, like we'll move into the macadamia you know, farm and strip out all the tea tree because it candies, you know, as I say, it's a candy, quick candy kind of honey and, and people like the taste of it as well. But we'll go there with empty hives with the idea of making a, a, a nice, um, you know, tasting, you know, macadamia. Yeah. So that's how, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that. It's also another health, um, you know, tree. We'll be looking to get some splits or bring split, you know, bring the nukes into it. So oh, okay. the nukes can grow. Yeah, and so it's a good place to sort of, expand. as a nursery. Yeah, nursery. So the next couple of months through, you know, August, September, October, you're starting to really look to, you know, we've got some nukes that we were queen you know rearing in and so yeah. so i should be planting a bit of tea tree here then well tea trees are tea trees a winter tree yeah, yeah. Like anything that's a melaleuca you know would be good and like it's just to give them but they'd be getting it you know i don't particularly know your valley you're in a yeah. good valley here oh, it's mostly wattle wattle's their wattle's yeah, their main flow <laughs> but i would say you've got some creeks you know they say 3k in a Three oh, yeah. k in a good in a good run, and then six yeah, well, k yeah. in dearth is what a bee will travel. The, the Albert so, River is less than three k away. Yeah, so. so there would be a there would be a species of tea tree in through that river that probably they're you know, getting anyway. Getting into yeah, like I, I, I know I, th- I threw a lot of clover seed out when we first started, and there is a bit of clover around, a bit of winter clover. Yeah, people um, used to work clover. It's a beautiful honey. Yeah, it's a very. Uh, I think English beekeepers in particular yeah. like a clover honey is a very classic sort of clover. Yeah, and I think they struggle a bit with it nowadays, but you know the heat and yeah, it's um welcome to primary industry, John. Yes, <laughs> where it can all go pear shaped. Oh yeah, well, very- I've lost. I, I did have two hives and lost both hives to to small hive beetle, which was a bit, and then you know. Ryan here bought me another hive. Compliments of the big fella, yeah. And I thought, what did I must have bought enough? Because I got two hives, two new hives at the same time. And again, I think small hive beetle got one of them, um, and then one survived and sort of, you know, I really looked after it and built it up. Then, yeah. Um, okay, so what's your favourite variety of honey? Oh, I don't know. Look, I, I enjoy the tea tree. Yeah, like the tea, they get very stingy on the tea tree, so it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, All right, they get a bit aggressive. They get a little bit aggressive on it. Like, yeah. but so it's when an, I come and help you in another couple yeah. of months' time, it's going to be worse than what we experienced. Yeah. I, 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 we should talk about Ryan, John, while, while he's here. <laughs> no, we talk. What's your, your favourite honey tea tree? I like, I like the tea tree. Yeah, I like t- I like the tea tree. Like, but a summer flow is good. It, it's it's hot work when you're out there working the summer. Mm. Well, I. I um, so like I, I like the the flow hive the the new sort of thing I really yeah, like you're the a new age yeah yeah well, I, I like tech you know like I <laughs> like as you can see like I like my tech um, I just think it's really interesting that and I'm like I'm a sucker for if I had money you know like all the small hive beetle technology like the bottom boards and stuff like that I find that really fascinating you know the way that people are trying to engineer their way through problems yeah, as well as cool people out there doing plenty of stuff yeah so um you, you know i i, I just they're looking at traps and all sorts of stuff. yeah you know? traps and bottom boards bottom and boards, yeah. you know I've, I've read stuff about you know you put like especially in queensland where it's hotter 
you put a mesh that's small enough that the yeah. the they can basically that the you know you're talking about you know bees that will clean constantly and they just push push the beetle into it yep oh well they push the beetle out the bottom of the, yes, the hive yeah. and if you have chickens around the bottom of the hive yep. they're basically the, the chickens are sitting there waiting for the beetle the beetles yeah. to get pushed yeah. out and they just eat the beetle yeah. and you break the cycle that way yeah you know yeah. just little interesting sort of um more yeah, well, the chickens are there as well from what i understand you know because that's where they come from just straight out the hive onto the ground if the yeah. chickens are breaking the life's the life cycle, yeah. yeah life then, cycle. You, then you, you know, you're, you're basically helping the the bees. Again, there's lo- heaps of levels of it. You're talking, you know, what is it? A permaculture style of yeah, you know, farming there where you've got the chickens next to the bees that are under the fruit trees that are something <laughs> that, like that. The water's coming in from somewhere. Like it gets really difficult when you're yeah, shifting loads of yeah. That's right. You're not going to hundred whatever you're moving to. You're not going to bring some. Yeah. Some fencing and some water and some yeah. and fifty chickens with you everywhere you go. Yeah. And, uh, we, and we and we struggled with this kind of stuff as well, lobbing into a another site with a truckload of stuff that's you know had a hard time with beetle from another site. You know, yeah. the beetle are being aggressive at one site, and then you're putting a load beside another load that's going okay or something, and and you really, pick pick up the pest. Yeah, do pest you, is this pest is work to keep maintaining it. Like, do you when you're moving from site to site? Do you try and not put them on this, exactly the same patch of grass? Yeah, look, it's about it's about grazing cows. Is, yeah. is you know I think I think you can't don't get too, you know. There's times to get all complicated with things, and there's times to just don't like it's not rocket science. You yeah, know, you, you're grazing cows, and so you, you're. You don't go lobbing a thousand cows into an acre. No, you know what's going to happen there. So bees have the same thing. Like if you've got a highly, you know, it's all go with the floral variety. By all means, you could probably your stocking rate, you know, could be good. I think. Well, when we went to um, New Zealand before we had kids, and we're, I think I, just I think I just got the hives. We'd moved here, and I just got the hives. So like, yeah, it's like when you buy a car, you buy. You buy a brand or a model of car, and all of a sudden, that's all you fucking see on the road. Yeah. But we're driving around the North Island, and it's just hives everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Just and not like I've never really seen more than three boxes on a hive in Australia. Yeah. And in New Zealand, you were hives eight foot tall. Yeah. Just unbelievable. I noticed that in America. How does that work? I, we just keep stacking them up. <laughs> like, knowing what you've just done, how does that work? Like. Well, I guess yeah. You just keep adding that super on top. You know, it's. I guess it gives you space and gives you time. You yeah, know, well, if you're well, on a flow and you can't, you can't get there, and your management is to just go. Well, let's capture this flow by adding another, another super. Box. They just work another box and yeah. keep and, and you it. keep adding to it. Like, I, I, I think there's some cool things happening. Like when when we we're in America, we I went and had a look at a couple of Amish, um, you know, beekeepers, and you know just. Amish, you know, they're very traditional and just the not, way... Not much text there, tech yeah, there. Yeah, or well, the way they're going about things. And, they're, and of course, they're battling Varroa mite over there. And the way that the Amish showed me how they were doing things, it was it was a stack, it was a high stack. And they, yeah. and irrespective of the flow, that was one of their management techniques for Varroa. Now, I'd, I was a little bit, you know, green and I, you know, probably should have had looked deeper into it, but... I noticed that that was one of their actual management techniques. So, so you're as well. disturbing the hive less. Yeah, and I guess that's what. And as I say, I was a little bit green when I was looking, you know, back in four or five years ago when I did look. But yeah, 
it'd be interesting, you know. And they had a breeding, a queen breeding kind of program as well that was wasn't, you know, extravagant. Yeah, you know, they were pretty much. Yeah, I think that's where the natural inclination of like mm. um, Australia with the CSIRO and and that sort of yeah, background is. It sounds like Australia is going to be a lot better prepared. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope touch wood it doesn't even arrive. Like, yeah. It would just be a game changer for the industry, for the hobbyist, for it's just another whole level of pain in the ass. You don't, yeah, pain in the ass. It, and let's hope that everyone kind of sticks together and government and, you know, management people and. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know in North Queensland, like on that beekeeping site on Facebook, like they're ha- handing out testing kits for free in North yeah, Queensland Asian, and stuff, yeah. you know, to try and... and some and blokes that have done an amazing volunteers going up there and locating and like some of the, some of the location techniques and stuff I've never even heard of. It. Yeah. And that's what I mean, John, like you, it's all good, you know, you think you're making a bit of headway and you think you're kind of getting a bit of a handle on the idea of it all and then there's something that comes along. You know, something you you learn something new, and someone's doing something, and yeah, that's what's so cool about the industry. You never you think you got your bit of a go on, and then you have it. So, the, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, I've captured one swarm, mm. uh, got it into a nuke box. It that was when I was having real problems with small hive beetle, and it died from small hive beetle. But I have captured one swarm. How many? Like I've always sort of thought swarms are like a sign of mismanagement you know well, like, like doctor uh, like um when i did my um acupuncture they always talked about mm. uh, appendicitis as like your early warning system that, yeah. that 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 you're not doing what you should be doing yeah and like a swarm is essentially you've let your hive get too full isn't it yeah they have the the hive starts with a swarm tendency and then yeah just splits and runs so yeah there can be heaps of things that oh two basic ones i guess like that the that the you know the hot the, the queen is being something's happened to the queen and so they want to split and start to do that you could ha- you could say that maybe the hive's so full that they've run out of space hmm. yeah maybe there hasn't well, been any like that's that that's almost like their natural inclination isn't yeah, it if they, ta- times are good for the survival of the species times are good we got lots of honey yeah. now's the time to split not when we're sort of struggling yeah, some, my people have said to me look bees want to be winners yeah you know they want life they want life to exceed death that's a that's the nature of them as an insect you yeah know? Like, so yeah they want to be winners and they want to go away and find another spot and push on like, so so what do you think of when you see a swarm what like, do, do you get much swarms in your hives? Obviously, a lot of your hives aren't sort of on your back step, so you they might swarm and you'd never see it. Yeah, look, we have had swarms. And, you look, I've, you know, you hear stuff where I haven't worked, say, a, you know, a canola species. And so they say that, look, canola, you get to the end of your bees, working them, and then the first ones you work, they're swarming already. You know, they're just the, the canola and what they're on really makes them just want to go and yeah, right. push on and, you know, so it's all go. So, so, so the, the, the flow really 
influences the behaviour then. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they've got a surplus. They want to put it somewhere. They want to get... Yeah. They want to... But like you were saying, they get a bit angry on the tea tree. Yeah, for some reason, like, you know, that, that seems to be what they want to do. They seem to want to get a bit stingy and... Yep. Maybe as well, you're working them in a winter kind of month. You yeah, know, yeah. You're working it's, them in... It's a little bit like... Yeah, it's cool and the conditions aren't a beautiful, hot, sunny day and they're a bit what, more interested in you than... When, when there's a bit of like, you know, I've had a few times because, you know... I've got three kids, so sometimes, you know, like, I know the hive's full. I know I should go and take a couple of frames out, but it's like a showery day and there's a yeah. bit, of, bit of moisture around yeah. and it's and like, it's, well, I know they're not going to be out. I know they're not going to be real happy, yeah. but this is the time I've got to go and do it. Yeah, and sometimes you've got to do that. Like, you know, we've got an apprentice at the table that's kind of had a few, you know, times we're harvesting in a shed that's not perfect just yet, you know, we've moved our gear and so we had to cowboy up you know there were a lot of robbing going on a lot of yes yeah, so it was nasty i've never ever never ever had that robbing you know like when i first started and i read what i could um and they were like you know if you take the frames out sort of put them in a box and keep protect yeah, them, and them yeah. covering them and, and then don't cut up and, and extract the honey until night time yeah. And so, like, I did that for the first few times, and then there must have been one time where I didn't have the opportunity, and I just come down and cut it off and sat it out. I've never, I've never had visitors. <laughs> yeah, there were lots of visitors a couple yeah. of weekends ago. Yeah, we just moving sheds, you know, moving processing. So, is it, so would you prefer then not to have Looks about your, your processing? You'd have no beehives around your processing area. Oh, it's just it's just part of your management where you need to create a a bee-proof environment yeah. to be able to deal with it. Like, you know, there's always going to be f- feral bees, you know, bees oh, around okay. the area. Maybe there's hives in the area you don't know that's there. Well, they're going to come. It's a, it's a... And is that is that like a... Um, like the, the, the sheer volume of honey that you're dealing with? No, I think... Not, not, not volume as such. It's it's just that they... It's a sense that they have. They go into a robbing mode. Yeah. They, they've... Got they, boxes they, there that they can... Yeah, it's open. It's mm. open product. Yeah. And, and they want to mop it up, I yeah, guess. It's, so why why is it... It's a bad thing. Robbing is... It's a, it, it's a bad temperament to, prom, you know... To promote, to yeah. Promote. It's and a little then, bit like kids and... You, yeah. you know, you want them to say please and thank you. You don't want them to Maybe sort of... Maybe feeding sugar to kids. Yeah. You know, that's the temp... Look, you want to just keep feeding them sugar to promote... To give that so, effect so of them bouncing off the wall. It'll be really interesting to see now that I've got a hive here next to the house. Because before, the other one was over, sort of mm. over the hill. Mm. And maybe that was far enough away. So maybe I will mm. see a bit of robbing when mm. the next time I try and process a bit of honey. Again, though... That's the beauty of the fly hive is you just yeah you have it and that's that's one of the you know, design you, you, you stick a bottle underneath it you turn the tap yeah, that's one of the design things what they came up with that's what makes it so smart yeah by all means like. well like I, I was trying to explain the funny thing is like you get a lot of amateurs that sort of think that fly hive means they can get into beekeeping and I don't think that's the case there's no if you weren't going to get into beekeeping before you shouldn't get into beekeeping well, with a fly you, hive think, as I say you should we should probably start directing some questions at the apprentice here like mm. you've I've, you know Ryan's sitting here he's nice and quiet at the moment but he's um worked with me for you know a couple of three times four times whatever it's been like he probably knows more than me by now well well, before i started really had no idea how the process works Mm. 
and then to see how much goes into getting honey from where it starts from to in a jar or a bucket is incredible. Yeah, and that's the general learning curve. But also, like hats off to Ryan here. He's he's been in the thick of it, and and really in the thick of it. You know, like I think the first time was installing clearer boards or something. You know, like some serious lifting honey and pulling honey, two ton of honey. You know that we're pulling from. Yeah, see, it's it's almost like like complete. What what you do and what I do are two. completely different things yeah but i mean and and there's two and there's three completely different things when you go up the chain and start hanging around with the thousand three thousand mm. operator guys like yeah. I've, I've got nothing like i mean we all just have a an appreciation of bees but i mean i'm talking about someone getting into bees you know someone's had a you know the old baptism of fire here ryan's had the baptism of fire he's been thick in it and you know in a in a processing shed that's not quite perfect that we're moving into that there's a bit of development to go and you know there's robbing happening there's and yet you've got to keep pushing on there's yeah you got you got to get it done you got to get almost, it done it's so. almost like the concreting thing where once the truck turns up yeah you can't you, take com- a rest you committed or, yeah you committed, you got yeah, you committed. Well, and so someone who's wanting to start like you know this i mean i don't know but there's quite a, a you know there's someone like ryan who if he wanted to get into bees he'd know how it can be or how, you know the, the seriousness of it and the and the volume of bees the sting the, the you know the pushing on as he said just like when the concrete truck arrives like, yeah. so I think there's a lot of people get into it with the idea of it and then they realise maybe oh geez, you know these things it's like, oh, are a beast of their own you know? well the, so, the, the thing I like about the flow hive is I'm not very experienced and I'm not that good at handling them so when I used to open up just the top box to take out frames, I, I would kill bees. There's just absolutely no, well, yeah, you know, yeah. like just lifting frames out and putting them, putting the lid back on and putting the, like I would kill some bees. And the thing with the flow hive is I can go and take a frame of honey out and not kill a single bee. And that's what I really like about it yeah. because you kill a bee, they've got to raise another bee. That's a, a bee that's not out there getting honey. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure. And they, yeah, I mean, she's laying, what, 1,500 eggs a day. So yeah. in the scheme of things, you know, when you shift a truckload of them, oh, you, yeah, you've got to sweep them off the floor. Like, yeah. So no one likes that. And, and I think there's been a lot of study about what the, you know, I don't, I don't know the complete technology, you know, the words of it all, but, you know, the pheromones and the... You know the things that a dead bee actually leaves behind is not good. No. You know, but I think I think the flow hive debate has been going on for for ages. Like, I think there's ways to management manage it, and I think John, to be fair, like you're the only guy that I've seen, and I've, I've been watching the flow hive phenomenon happen. Like, that's manipulating the flow hive in a in a particular way that's actually working well. Like, yeah. You know, well, every every person that's asked me about them, I've said, don't get into it unless either a you want to learn how to manage it properly and rotate your frames into your bottom box. Yeah, and so, that's like, what you're doing that I haven't that I haven't seen in a lot of other flow hives. Or yeah. find a beekeeper, and there's heaps of them around. Like not necessarily a commercial one, but find someone that knows what they're doing and pay them pay them to come out to your hives twice a year and check your bottom box and do the maintenance for you. And stand there and watch them, and eventually you'll be able to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't just stick the flow hive on and leave it. Yeah. It's got it. You still got to create the space for them to lay eggs yeah, and stuff like still that. Stuff happening. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But you know, it, it's I like because 
someone will come around and I, if I don't have honey, I can go, oh, I'll go, oh, yeah, that one's, and just crack yeah. it and and put a bit of... Um, yeah, and look, as I say, the flow, the whole flow hive debate will go on and on and on. Oh, yeah. On and on. Well, like, and and it's, it's amazing and, and there's some great things, but there's, I think there's... It's like every bit of technology, like when the iPhone came out, yeah. that all the companies that made smartphones said... Apple's not just going to walk into this area yeah, yeah. and and be able to sort of, like there was complete resistance to that style of thing. Now that phone isn't the same phone that it was eight years ago, yeah. and I reckon the way beekeepers use flow hives ten years from now might not be the same way they yeah. use them now. And, well, that was a question I was going to ask you. Could you produce the honey you're producing now no, using so. this method? No, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a home. It's a hobby thing, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it, a home. It, it, so small, small. I think to like, yeah, to convert a, um, you know, a commercial no, size apiary is, you know, two hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollars. Like yeah. I think it's this. Yeah. The only way you could ever do it is if you had like. You'd almost have to mechanise it, and the problem is that mechanisation doesn't work well with moving stuff around. Mm. Where you could basically, and the thing is, like, and this is the other thing is, and I wanted to come back to asking you about moving them from flow to flow. Like, they don't fill the frames up at the same rate, so you really don't want to take. Well, this is the way I've understood. You don't want to take the honey off until it's capped. Because it yeah. it's just not as good. It's got more well, water more, in moisture, it. Moisture, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's it, it's not it's as good. So you know, like you can't just mechanise it and go. Well, I'm going to open these eight frames up and let them flow out if it hasn't been capped off. <sighs> so yeah. when get, just getting back to when you were saying about moving them before, like if you're on um, a tea tree flow and yep. you've got if you open the hive and you've got six frames capped off yeah and four or two not capped off or four not capped off do you put them into a separate box and just take the capped ones off and then sort of look turn that into blended honey that's a a separate thing yeah we try to um you try to pull that box when it's full obviously because it's an economy of scale thing you don't want to be in there working when you're when you don't have to mm. and we we use a process you know and it's common commercial way is is under supering where you lift the box of honey up um drop a brand new box that's drawn comb we call it a sticky yeah. so previously extracted um and then put a clearer board a one-way gate drop the honey box on top you know wait a day and then come back and remove that honey box. Yeah, that was and, and, that was my next question. Are yeah. they are they pretty those clear boards? They work well. Yeah, you've got like that's what yeah that's what I helped him with two weekends ago that process. And you come back, you do it so on a Saturday afternoon, and then you come back on a Sunday mid morning, and most of the top boxes are pretty well empty. Yeah, so then you just lift them off onto your be, truck. Yeah, and they've got to be on a nectar flow for mm. the bee to want to get out of that top out of that full box you know, uh, okay. they've got to have a reason to leave like I think one time we did it Ron and I and they weren't on you know one flow was ending and another one mm. just about to start and, and a lot of bees and there were a lot of bees still in the box you know we ended up having to use a you know a, a blower yeah. an air blower to blow a few of the bees out so yeah. you're naturally I- taking a few home but that's the way that we deal with it. But yeah, when I first started coming out of the small numbers into some large numbers, I ended up having to shake off 
the cap frames, what I wanted to take and mm. put them in a box and then extract them and then bring them back the next day and reinsert them. So when you're under supering, you need like twice as much gear because yeah, yeah. you need that box to replace the other box. And but now you've done that a few times. You've yeah, got, you've built up your loaded, kind of, yeah. loaded the stickies it's, in. It's, it's sort of like a larger scale version of what I'm doing here. Like yeah. I'm now, I've got, I've got a nuke box, an empty nuke box, but no frames, no spare frames. I've used up all my frames. Yep. So like, admittedly, I'm coming into winter, so it's probably not that big an issue, but yeah, you want to keep them warm. Oh, it's more spring. I'm thinking that uh, spring, if they get onto out. a flow <laughs> and I don't have capacity for them to go into, and they swarm, I've got I've got nothing to put them in. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so winter was like right now. We're we're prepping a lot of gear. We're we're building. We're you know we're not wiring frames anymore as much. But yeah, um, like even even before I used to have um, I used to have two ideal boxes. And if I went down and they were looking full and I didn't have enough time to pull frames, I'd just lift the lid off and stick an ideal box yeah, on with yeah. empty, like completely and empty that's what frames. I've got for you sitting in the shed, I've got some half boxes. Those half frames. Yeah, because they were like, you know, yeah, they were brilliant and it, they were just like. That can save you, yeah. Yeah, you know, and then again, and then you put them under, like, put them underneath when you take full frames out and then once they're full take them off scrape them off and they're ready to go for yeah, the next correct. time the contingency yeah. Yeah. but um that's what i that's what i like you know it, i think as a big as a as a an increasing beekeeper a hobby beekeeper any any kind of learning beekeeper i think it's not only to link to just another beekeeper and so you can <coughs> have a chat about bees i think it's my belief is it's it's super important to link to a, a bigger beekeeper than you. Yeah. Look, and that's not to say, oh, look, my my beekeeping's bigger than your beekeeping. It's, mm. That's rubbish. Well, you, you got. It, it, it's not like that though. Fifty years more knowledge though. Yeah, but again, like that's fine. But it's it's about seeing where it goes and seeing the processes a bigger guy uses to yeah. manipulate, to to lift honey, to do stuff that you look at your you know hobby or your back backyard deal and say. Uh, look, I need to find a cutting rack that looks that was like that one that I mm. saw in the shed, or you know. And from looking at a, a bigger guy, then you start to realise, oh, well, I should do this, or that's a cool technique. And yeah. and and you might not have aspirations to build as many as that person has, but I think that's how you, you know. I'm constantly loving to go to the bigger guys, the thousands, mm. the the you know, and not and I try not to you know, mitch and match. You know, like I've had distinct mentor for my whole career. Yeah, that's that I've been really lucky to have, and so I've done that with not with a queen rearer and with and with a commercial guy. So it's really only three people that I've watched, you know, for my career. That, but they're three very well established, three highly respected industry players, I guess. Or, yeah, and it's so, like every, you want that knowledge to get past down the line really yeah 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 um, absolutely i think i think john one thing we're kind of you know glossing over you know that for me though after a while your your weakness becomes your floral identification and your understanding of that you know it's all nice to kind of talk be manipulations and boxes and doing this and doing that but it, your key is to 
unless if once you start moving, I guess what I'm talking about is yeah. one, once the, you become a moving beekeeper, then you become a storm chaser. Yeah, you become a storm. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. like, I've talked to quite a few wine guys on this podcast, um, and I'll try and put, um, <laughs> I'll try and put, I'll try and put a link in the show notes to the particular episode I'm talking about, but. Um, I was talking to a guy about climate change and they're down in Victoria and he sort of sniffed the wind and knew what was coming Mm. and thought in five years' time, this particular grape variety is going to be great for what the climate's going to be in sort of five years' time. Pulled out a quarter of his vineyard and put these other grapes in. High risk. Massive risk yeah. because it's it's five years before a you know whether you've made the right bet on the climate, yeah. and b to see how the vines and, are and going. Again, and again, John, look, welcome to welcome to agriculture one yeah. mate. Welcome to gambling. Well, and that's the thing, like because <laughs> you gamble every time you go unloading and you're out in the forestry and you got a bit of an idea what's going to happen, but you know. Well, and that's the thing, like I always remember the story. I went to a fishing, I went to a fishing show, and uh, there was a guy there who's like. Um, you know, like he is a TV presenter mm. for fishing, but like obviously had fished all his life and really knew what he was talking about. And he said he went out. He's, he's they had this massive big tank, you know, twenty foot deep, fifty foot long, um, and he was like casting, just constantly casting. It's only two meters wide, and he's just constantly just hitting the spot, casting out this thing. And while he's doing it, he had a radio mic and he's talking. He's telling this story about he went out on the lake chasing. I can't can't remember what the fish was, but out in Mount Isa or something, went out on this lake chasing this particular fish and all the locals are like, right, you need this gear, you need this lure and you should be doing this. And he's like, you're the locals? No worries. But he'd fished this fish in, a, in like a whole heap of different areas yeah. and he knew its behaviour. Yeah. And he said they fished for a couple of hours and didn't get anything. He's like, said to his host, oh, look, you know, I'm just going to try this other lure. And this other lure went down another two and a half, three metres than the lures that they were using. And they just laughed at him and said, mate, you're not going to catch anything with that. First cast, he caught a fish bigger than any of them had ever caught on that lake ever before. And he said he just kept he just kept reeling them in. Cast after cast, he's just bang, fish every yeah. time. Because he knew he knew the behaviour. Yeah. And like they sort of were relying on the built-up local knowledge that they'd always had. But he actually had a deeper knowledge of the behaviour of what he was trying to chase. Yeah, there's just so many ticking pieces to the puzzle, you know, and then one, after you get your manipulations and your and your gears all set and your, your trucks and all the rest of it, it becomes then driving down a thousand dirt roads. Yeah, but do you, do you, do you um, like, do you see 50 mils of rain and go, right, yeah, in two weeks' time, we're yeah, going to have to go here. Absolutely, like patches of rain and areas that get it. You know, we're in for a fantastic season this year. I think if you're not making honey in your own backyard, you're doing something wrong in the coming season. Because of the weather we've yeah, had. Yeah, I think we've had some fantastic Because weather. of that big wet. Yeah, and just I, I, that's just my belief. I think, we're going, I think we're in for a good season coming. Like, yeah. But, yeah, you know, when... When you're looking for trees, when you're looking for buds, when you've and when you've been down that dirt road before, and you remember where, you know, there's a spotted gum ridge, or whether there's a, and, and, and it's just endless. It's and, and the, that's what you end up 
talking about and the grapevine of beekeeping starts to be is so so do you drive along a road and see a tree flowering and go oh shit there goes my weekend late or yeah yeah you spend endless again again for me john like there's you know there's a a a line there that i've got to draw because i'm i've got another job Mm. you know i'm not i'm not that commercial guy look it would i know the commercial guys who spend endless time driving around looking because yeah. they've got and, blokes and, there with trucks ready to move bees and they got bees and at what point does like you know diesel's not free yeah and look there's a whole and that's what i'm saying you're starting <laughs> then to talk about the the economics and the business side of beekeeping and you know i talk that and think that a lot like where where does it end up going and because i know my dad he's a he's a mad fisherman and, well, both my parents are mad fishermen, but like they go reef fishing, mm. but and you sort of think of oh free fish, but yeah, they're not yeah. fucking free fish. Outlay further. Well, you know, you, you, your boat costs money. Yeah, your upkeep of your boat costs money. You you put. Yeah. Well, look at the other weekend there. You got we're going to go and take some honey off, but then you got to go to Bunnings and get this, this, and this, and this, and this. Yeah, it's and like four or five hundred dollars of petrol to go out to the reef. And admittedly, you're getting, you, you know, you're not going, it's not a pure commercial decision. You're not getting this input for X yeah. fish, but, you know, you're getting the experience and you enjoy yeah, you, You're doing you're it for the experience. Now, draw some lines through what you're, what you're doing in the, in the industry or what you're doing as your interest in it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we're at at the moment, you know, like, my thing, you know, and I've talked to Ryan at, at length probably about it, you know, we're about some, you know, economies of scale, but efficiency is what we're, we're about now. Like, yeah. if there's a truck moving, it's fully loaded. If there's, we're getting all our gear in, well, we've got, you know, our gear in place so that things are trying to become efficient. Things well, you're are, processing stuff now at your place so that you don't have yeah, to travel to and, and bigger from. gear and... So, you know, there's a time element now. Well, like, you, you look at the, the difference between the way, because I saw the picture of your extractor mm. now i've only ever taken I, I think i've only ever processed a whole box once in the whole time i've been beekeeping mm. every other time i've taken sounds great three frames <laughs> yeah like, you <laughs> and like you said to me i've got you the, wipe me over when you can i've got a little two frame extractor and i'm Am like i well, helping the wrong bloke <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right what's yeah. going on there like you know you i've got a little two frame extractor well look i've only ever really i only usually take one frame at a time and i want wax i want wax for my um for my soap making so i don't really want stickies you know i want to cut all that wax out and yeah. start again because I want the wax, and yeah, I just put it on. Those a, stickies are valuable. Yeah, well, that's the thing it because it takes a honey flow to make them. Yeah, that, and that's the other thing is like I, I don't particularly eat much honey. I use a lot of it in my cooking. You give it to me. Get yeah, you, you eat I way more honey than I do. Honey anymore, and, champ. and and the kids the kids eat more honey, but yeah. like I've probably had honey on toast once in the last fucking twelve months. I just find it too sweet. Me um, too, actually. I don't eat much honey. Yeah, well, Curtis has been because I, I had um, so I strained that that barrel you gave me. Mm. I actually got some wax out of it. Oh, don't do that. There's plenty of it. <laughs> um, well, I didn't know because I, I just wondered whether you're like obviously you you, you can make money out of the wax. You can yeah, sell wax. Yeah, wax is quite got a good price. Yeah. To be fair, we use our wax to. You know, I think wax is in the twenty dollar mark now. So like, can, can uh, again jump jumping all over the place here, but can you make um can you make sheets? Or do you? Is it better just to trade the sheets back to someone? And it's better. It's better to trade a block of wax to a to a foundation maker. Like there's yeah. foundation making is not an art, but it's not. It's there's a um, 
you know, there's a distinct process to it, and to get it right is really important. Yeah, the but stamping of those cells or the cell size is super important. That's what the bees, you know, need need as their start and like a uniform uniformity, correct, perfect size. Yeah. But you're going you know, um, wax that doesn't do funny things, crack. A little bit more to plastic frames as well, aren't you? Look, I've gone. I've, I'm. I'm not really, but I am. I think plastics is nice alternative that you you know had a honey flow needed to get some need to get some supers on there um bought plastic frames first time and had to go through the world of learning about plastic yeah um you know they got me out of my problem i've got plastic frames now in my apri i watch what they do Um, i'd be i'd be really interested and i've always wondered why going back to the sort of flow hive why no one's come up with like a plastic frame that's built out like a cell like well not all the way because you know you you yeah. basically uncap the top right yeah with a, with a hot knife is that yeah. how you do it yeah yeah with an uncapper yeah and i've just wondered why like obviously you don't want it built out all the way yeah, like a flow hive is plastic. because then you'd be cutting through plastic but why not have it built out halfway so that the bees only know, have to do half roll the cell you know we looked at a lot of you mm. know ryan and i during the processing last mm. time we looked at a like a lot of rolled cell, cell that's like bent over. Yeah. And so... But the uncapper doesn't uncap it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or it has and something's... Or, or as it's uncapped, and then, it's and then, yeah, rolled well, over. Paul was telling me about, you know, like... And I had one originally, which was, you know, the scratcher, s- scratcher yeah. and you scratch the top open. Yeah, so, so any low comb, any comb that you're uncapping doesn't yeah. tape. And it was interesting. I don't know whether or not it was because you've only introduced... <clears throat> the plastic frames recently but of the frames that we processed it was generally the plastic ones that were the ones that needed lower. the combing yeah. yeah yeah they were lower so i don't know whether that's because you I, I wonder i wonder though i wonder though whether like when you return those as stickies when you put them back on whether they'll build out all the way yeah i, th- I think they event- i think eventually do like you know after a while you get a nice a lot of stickies that are well built out, nice and smooth, and the uncapper just perfectly takes off, yeah. and you've got a perfectly uncapped. You know, I, th- I think you eventually work towards that, and I think the bees get used to. Yeah, because I know, like when I, I start with a with a fresh frame, they're always a bit wonky, and it's the stickies are the ones that give you the nice, even, yeah, beautiful yeah. rectangular. Like I've always wanted to. Is it the what's the other type of hive, the like triangular one? Oh, like a natural. It's yeah. it's a war, war hive yeah, or WWARE. Yeah, again, I'm not familiar with them at all. Like they call them a top bar hive. Yeah, so you don't put right. you don't put any. Instead of them going like that, sorry, I'm making vertical. <laughs> vertical. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm making uh, lines with my hands here on a podcast. But they go across crossbar yeah. hive, and all it is is that bar, and you put a little strip of wax in it. On the top, and they build it out. But the 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 hive is not um, square or not rectangular. It's like a 